Hello and a warm welcome to the NLN podcast. The NLN is the Nordic Leadership Network. We're a team of seven leaders, coaches, facilitators and speakers. We help develop the leaders of today and tomorrow. We challenge teams to achieve high performance. We help companies to implement strategy and get stuff done so they can flourish and grow. Welcome, welcome to the NLN podcast. We have a special edition of the podcast this week. David Goddard, who is, uh, who is with me right now. David, how are you today? I'm really good, Nick. Thank you very much for asking. How are you doing? Yeah, all good at this end. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited because we're, we're going to do something different um, yeah? today. Right. So what are you excited about? Well, we've got a very special guest. We've got, um, we, we welcome Michael Gates back to the podcast. Michael was a guest on a previous edition, real cross-cultural expert. And today, um, we also welcome Lucian Hudson, who is a communications expert and a crisis communications expert. And he's just been doing a talk radio series on the UK government response to COVID-19, amongst other things. But David, what are you looking forward to most about today's special edition format of the NLN podcast? A couple of things, Nick. So first of all, really interesting to go to the UK right now, because we've been Mm. in Africa so far, in East Africa, in Somaliland, on this pod series, Mm. hearing about what's happening there and resilience. In Somaliland, we've also heard about what's happening in the Middle East at the start of this pandemic crisis from Yarma Swarminen and how he was ahead of the game in communication and moving to the virtual office. Mm -hmm. But now the UK is a hot political potato going on at the moment with the crisis around uh, Dominic Cummings. Yeah. So I'm really interested to hear from expert on crisis communications lucian hudson has been at the forefront of many communication situations in crises over the years for example he was in charge of communications the bbc at the death of princess diana and um, also he was working with the government the british government at the foot and mouth disease outbreak if you remember when that was no 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 not at all. But i remember no, it happened you're, you're, you're far too young for that. So, Lucy and Hudson, welcome to the show and welcome to Michael Gates. We're going to really get into, in this first part of the podcast, into crisis communications. Well, thanks very much, David. Uh, and it's a great pleasure to me to have Lucian here with us today. I've known Lucian for longer than I care to remember. I think it's over 40 years now when we uh, met at university. We must have been very mu- young, mustn't we, Lucian? And um, Lucian was studying PPE uh, at Oxford. That's nothing to do with personal protective equipment, but it stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. And I believe that it's about the most difficult subject to get into Oxford for these days. And it's a sort of um, classic route to a career in journalism and politics in the UK, I would say. Many journalists and politicians have followed that course uh, at Oxford. And um, Lucian has worked in both. So he had senior positions at the BBC, was head of communications for the Foreign Office and Headmaster General for the whole of government, and then at the Department of Environment, Food, Rural Affairs, head of communications for both the Open University and Oxford, as well as many other roles too numerous to mention. And one thing that I've noticed from Lucian's career, which leads on to the topic of today of crisis communication, is that you always seem to have been around when there's been a crisis, leading BBC coverage uh, when Princess Diana died, global coverage, 
leading communication for DEFRA on foot and mouth disease, and now recently as a commentator on the coronavirus uh, outbreak. And he's just completed a series on talk radio in the UK. So welcome again, Lucian. Really nice to have you here. It's great to be with you, Michael, and to reconnect. Coronavirus has had, obviously, many negative effects, but it's also had some positive ones. And how it's brought people together for the first time or made possible people reconnecting, um, I think, has been one of the things that has come out of this so far. You're right to say that Crisis and I have had um, a lifelong relationship on and off, certainly in, in career or professional terms. And I've, I've been certainly reflecting during coronavirus why it is that I find my skills useful. I think I've been involved one way or another in either leading in a crisis or supporting leaders in a crisis, particularly through communications or reporting on a crisis. And I've seen the whole cycle time and time again of anticipating or failing to anticipate a crisis, responding to it uh, well or less well, and of course, recovering from it. And I'd say straight off, in my experience, even though coronavirus is unprecedented, the scale and speed of it, uh, it's indiscriminate nature. It's the first crisis I've ever known where, as well as dealing with it at a, at a distance, I, like everybody else, have felt a victim or a potential victim. Uh, and I think that's a very defining characteristic of a systemic threat, um, which clearly coronavirus is. Uh, and I think I would conclude at the moment that, from my experience, uh, one thing one can be sure of is that crises end. We know they will end. We don't know quite how and at what cost and what has changed as a result. Who's a winner? Who's a loser? Whose voice was heard? Whose voice was marginalised? But what we do know, it will end. Uh, and that gives me confidence when I'm leading in a crisis or supporting others in a crisis to be really clear about what the aim is what the winning formula is and the strategy to support it and to be very, I think, very open to just how many people one engages in the resolution of a crisis so that everybody has or many people have skin in the game. It's in everybody's interest to pull together and pull through. Uh, and so I say this on the basis of past experience. It can be very positive for leaders I think Nick has commented in one of his uh, blogs, you know, it can, leaders can uh, have their finest hour as well as darkest days. Uh, mm. And I, in, in my view, I think that is true of crisis. So that as a leader, that you, there can be winners and losers. And I mean, obviously, people tend to remember when it's been done badly. So I was just thinking back to about a decade ago at the uh, BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico when the CEO, Tony Haywood, was interviewed and he said, I, I, I'd like my life back. And that was a sort of defining moment uh, of uh, poor communication. And over the past uh, week or so, we've had the communication in the Rose Garden at 10 Downing Street from Dominic Cummings. For those of you who have uh, not been following the news from the UK in detail, Dominic Cummings, chief advisor to Boris Johnson and the one who came up with the 
slogan, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. And then he is discovered to have allegedly broken the, his own uh, rule. Any comments on that particular communication and then on communication from the government in general, Lucian? I think that what I'd say, and whenever I'm asked to comment on a crisis, whether it's a short-term one or longer-term, it's difficult to draw too many conclusions at the time. Whether one likes it or not, there is a benefit of hindsight. And hindsight is what you have when you don't have the knowledge or the wisdom that you might have at the time. I think specifically on what's happened in the UK over the past week, and however that ends up being resolved. For the time being, it looks like the Prime Minister, who has a lot of faith in his chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, is standing by him, agrees with him that he did not break any rules. But I think everybody, uh, including the Prime Minister and Dominic Cummings, recognise that uh, in Dominic um, Cummings's actions, there's enough there for reasonable people to ask whether or not he did break the rules, as it is his own interpretation was that he was compliant with the rules because of a need to act like a father uh, and do the best for his four-year-old son. Uh, the problem about the, and the issue has really been that a lot of the country were actually all of the view that you had to take very literally, and rightly so, the injunction to stay at home. Um, there is, there were, there is scope for some discretion, but that wasn't obvious to most people at the time. Um, what do you say that the government wasn't, or the, the uh, yeah, but Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings weren't on the same wavelength as people in general, and that where people can forgive lacking in cap- lacks of capability or competence, um, this was perceived as not reading the, the mood and also maybe a failure of character, which is a lot harder to forgive if you're talking about organisational reputation. There's a there's an awful lot of insight and wisdom in what you've set out. I, I think it, it, it is too early quite to work through what was done for one the what, what reason. The government, rightly or wrongly, decided to challenge its critics rather than defend a position, but at the same time acknowledge the emotional uh, reaction that many have felt at the thought that someone as influential and so much at the heart of government should not follow the rules they've followed. And you could argue that in any communication, not only must you get reason right, the rationale right, but you need to demonstrate enough empathy And empathy for me is not necessarily agreeing. It's really putting yourself in the shoes of somebody else and being clear, careful uh, to take your own shoes off. So I think what we've seen here is a clash between the government or many in the government who think actually uh, the media, a lot of the media and the opposition have made too much of this and indeed many concerned constituents of different MPs. Versus a lot of people think, well, how can you possibly condone this or not offer an apology or take further action on it? Um, I, I think it, 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 
we, we'll just have to see where this, this goes. At the moment, it looks as if the government is brazing this out, but has not settled or closed the issue. Uh, they want to move on. And I suspect a lot of the public want to move on, too, because there are things even more important. However, as you rightly say, Michael, character is critical. And you know, Boris Johnson up to now has been seen as to have enhanced his authority as a result of this crisis. People have obviously criticised whether or not the UK was fast enough, uh, well prepared enough. But broadly speaking, few people have criticised the government's overall strategy, which he leads on. He came out of his own experience of coronavirus. Um, obviously, uh, that was a difficult, a very difficult period for him personally. But his, I think his, his standing was enhanced as a result of how he came through that. And he didn't overdo what it was like to have gone through those symptoms. But people were very clear that, you know, it was touch and go. However, in the light of the the, the saga or the row over Dominic Cummings, um, obviously, many people are concerned that that would have eroded um, Boris Johnson's own political capital. And whether it does so significantly or not, we don't know yet. Um, so when you were talking about putting yourself in other people's shoes, I was reminded of uh, Aristotle and his rhetoric where he talks about pathos, you know, the ability to feel empathy with other people. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, a, a reminder of Aristotle's um, writings on influencing and persuasion, he identified ethos, logos and pathos, which, you know, briefly... I interpret to mean, um, do you, does, it, when you come to influence or persuade, do you have credibility? Um, do you have um, a clear logic or argument as to what it is that you want others to support? And thirdly, are you relating to others on what matters to them? And therefore, are you emotionally intelligent? And I think those three, those three work together rather than separate. And I remember from my own handling of the crisis of foot and mouth disease in the UK in 2001, when I came in at an hour's notice uh, from doing that job of overseeing government websites and setting up the government's first uh, portal. Uh, when I came in, it seemed to me that people were questioning the government's handling of the crisis because they weren't quite sure where, how, what the uh, winning formula was and therefore the science in terms of what we know about foot and mouth was important to communicate and the risks and opportunities equally. Um, so that would have dealt with, if you like, the, the, both the credibility and the argument. But what was still missing was a sense that the department I was working with, or the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries, even though it was doing its level best to deal with the crisis, it wasn't necessary on the wavelength of a wider group of stakeholders. Uh, mm. Farmers, obviously, but the wider rural community and indeed the, the UK at large. And what a crisis brings out is that as well as being uh, trusted 
on the accuracy of what's going on and therefore information factual and uh, put in context is critical as well as being trusted on that and your competence to deliver people will can may continue not to trust you if they don't feel, think that you are on their side and what we see with effective governments and effective politicians is that they do know how to strike the right tone the right relationship the right rapport with the people whose trust and confidence they need in order to take difficult decisions um i think um, one example of a you know great leadership during this crisis probably been from new zealand's prime minister jacinda ardern you know and she talked about we're a team of 5 million people which is a classic kiwi way of leading you going to team captain role but i wonder about the nordic area yes about the nordic area i have a question to lucian about something i read in today's leading finnish newspaper the helsing sanomat they had a article today about dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson's protect, protection of his special advisor. Basically, the article asked, "Why is he protected him to this degree? This is not normal." And uh, even given him his own press conference, and why is the leader of the opposition not making more uh, Keir Starmer making more political capital out of this? And the answer that they gave to the first question is that Boris, they described him as a showman, but the brains. are elsewhere in the operation and um the answer that they gave to why Keir Starmer is laying off is that he wants Boris to to dig his own grave if i've translated that correctly so um i just wondered what lucian thought about the the finnish perspective on this i think there's there's some insight in that but i don't i think it it doesn't give you the whole picture by any stroke um of the imagination the prime minister is his own person i mean whether you like him or you you don't uh, he's a phenomenon and he's not just a showman uh he is a leader and he won a very decisive parliamentary victory in december with an 86 majority now you may like that or not like it you may still feel um that that wasn't the result that you know um reflects enough of the country's opinion but he 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 proved successful um and he can't have just achieved that through being you know for any communication skills he has a lot of people question that but that's where the prime minister's coming from i mean i i think um there's always a danger in this analysis which is perfectly understandable of attaching too much weight too much power to one individual um and thinking it's a trade off with attaching less weight and less importance to another um as for the opposition um i think there's a so for me it's always been important that we should have a strong prime minister and a strong leader of the opposition in this case in sir keir starmer and a leader of the opposition it's certainly in the united kingdom is if you like her majesty's loyal opposition so he'll be mindful that he's not just leader of the labor party which is obviously a very significant political party in the united kingdom but he's also the leader of the opposition and that obliges him to not always support the government on the contrary he can criticize it um 
he can hold it to account, he can challenge it, but he will be sparing what he says when, particularly if others are doing the running. So you've got to think of this partly in terms of his constitutional role, but also you've got to think of it in terms of raw politics. Why should the leader of the opposition use up his political capital when actually there seems to be continued pressure on Boris Johnson to either have Dominic Cummings resign or for him to leave? So I suspect that's what's going on. And of course, people can read in motive. But I think, and this is something that's underreported in the UK media at the moment, there's only one viable strategy here in the UK, and that is the lockdown strategy. And as and when we can ease the restrictions to go to a new phase, as we are doing, which allows us to um, get the economy moving again, and recover, if you like, the freedoms we've lost under lockdown. And the reason why this is also difficult is like any other country, we do not have a vaccine, an effective vaccine hmm. or drug treatment to deal with coronavirus. And we, all of us, not just the UK, need not to see this as a sprint, but as a marathon. And I think that goes for any journalist trying to report what's going on. It's not, there is politics as normal that certainly returns in some sense, in the UK. But actually, the overwhelming priority for everyone, including you know, Boris Johnson, the leader of the Labour opposition, is to get on top of this disease and to enable the economy to function again in due course. Mm. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks for those observations. And uh, we've just heard a, you know, a Finnish view, a Nordic view of what's going on in the UK. And I wonder to what extent you've been following the handling of the crisis in the Nordic countries, if I can put you on the, the spot a little, and give a British perspective on the handling and maybe if you've heard any of the responses of uh, people. And um, uh, I mean, Sweden has obviously been in the news globally for its strategy and how people are reacting there in Sweden. But any, any thoughts, any observations on that? And then we could move on a little bit more to some of your advice for Nordic leaders in general, as it's the Nordic uh, Leadership Network. Thanks, guys. I'm going to jump right in there and interrupt you because we want to leave this episode on a cliffhanger. So next week, uh, later this week, uh, is it later this week, Nick, that we're going to hear part two? Yes, later this week, David. Yeah, later this week. Do pay attention. So <laughs> we are going to be uh, listening to part two later this week to find out the British perspective, according to Lucian's views on Nordic leadership communication during this current pandemic crisis that we have. But it's been a great episode so far, hasn't it, Nick? Yeah, it's been really enjoyable. It's uh, really nice to hear Lucian's thoughts on on the you know various stages of a crisis, from the anticipation stage to the response stage, and then the recovery stage. And it was interesting for me how, you know, there are winners and losers, losers in, a, in a crisis. And also, you know, that, that crucial, crucial factor that, that Lucien mentioned about how, how many people one engages in the resolution of a crisis. So yeah. that many people have skin in the game. That was interesting yeah, I, to me. Yeah, that, that, I picked up on that too. That was very interesting, that part. So what do you think yeah. we're going to... We're gonna, here if we tune into part two well i think tune into part two and and hear a bit more on the cross-cultural response 
to this crisis. Um, and so many more interesting thoughts on Lucien's career and what he's experienced. Um, it's really interesting. And I'm looking forward to, to part two immensely. Thank you. So don't Thank forget you. to tune in, leader, listeners, to part two later this week. Yeah, leaders and listeners, tune in. Leaders and listeners. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, listener. It's Stefano here. Since you got until here, we think that you might like the podcast. It would mean so much if you could leave us a five-star review and share this with as many of your friends as possible. This will help us be discovered and spread the news. Can you just take five minutes and do that for us? Thank you.